Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Well, Tyler, it has been a subject of great interest on the American Shoreline Podcast over the course of the year and on Coastal News Today, but we're back to talk about the Maine lobster fishery and what's going on up there. Uh, As you recall, Tyler, we've had a few guests on this show. Boy, have we. Um, So... I'll tell you, just to give our listeners a little yeah, background. Let's, let's, let's tick through them, man. Let's we've through we've them. done quite a bit of uh, podcasting work here, ladies and gentlemen, on the subject of the Maine lobster fishery uh, and, you know, the fisheries in Maine more broadly, I think it's fair to say, too, because it's such a, a powerful fishery. It is the largest fishery uh, in terms of value in the United States. The wealthiest, yeah. The well, in terms of... Yeah. Highest value fishery in America. Right. And uh, it, it, we've also been covering the situation with uh, NOAA fisheries and the North Atlantic right whales right. and their declining numbers. So this is in we're doing yet another show here because it's just so darn interesting. Peter, what, what have we done? Let's tick through. Well, them. I mean, yeah, the, for the read, listeners on the podcast in the past and who've been sticking with us this year, we started back in in really in March. Uh, talking to Dr. Joseph Kunkel from UMass Bedford, who's a scientist, a lobster fisheries scientist studying lobster shell disease. And uh, Dr. Kunkel has been on the podcast twice. Um, at With the Maine Lobster Fisheries Association, we had their executive director on, Patrice McCarran, a really great interview back in September. It was really great to talk to her. And she was right after we talked to Dr. Michael Asaro with NOAA, Fisheries and Dr. Asaro, another great interview um, about the uh, Maine lobster industry and the uh, impact on the North Atlantic right whale. But Dr. Asaro, the head of the take reduction team at NOAA, that is charged with the responsibility of trying to reduce the number of whales that are killed by the fishery. Um, we've had David Abel on, the Pulitzer Prize winning. Uh, uh, writer for the Boston Globe and the producer of Lobster Wars. Uh, as you remember, that was at IOFF. That's right. That was a film at IOFF a year ago. The International Ocean Film Festival. We, we'll be back uh, in, in next spring. But And Jerry Cushman, who's a lobster fisherman you know, up in Maine, and the captain of the Bug Catcher. The Bug Catcher. Uh, the Bug Catcher was on, on the podcast and with, he's, with Brad Warren. He is building the first bait freezer in the state of Maine. Right. Because of the herring uh, bait crisis, I guess it's fair to say yeah. if you're a fisherman. Yeah, uh, Cushman uh, investing because they cut the lobster, the herring catch, uh, which is the bait used for the lobster fishery, cut it by seventy percent because of declines in that fishery. Uh, the lobstermen are having to go to frozen bait, and Cushman—that's part of his angle on this. So we've been, and so I guess all of that to say, Tyler, we've been we've been talking about the main lobster fishery for a while. And it's really, really an important topic for the reason that you mentioned. Uh, it is the wealthiest fishery in the United States right now by dollar value, estimated to be between $400 million and $500 million a year right now. Which in Maine is a big deal, a very big deal in that state. Yeah, one of the biggest fisheries in the United States, most wealthiest. And so, all of that to say... Uh, we have a great guest today to continue this discussion, bringing a new perspective uh, to the topic. So I want to welcome to the American Shoreline podcast, uh, Rob Morris, who is the product sales engineer 
for a company called EdgeTech Incorporated out of Massachusetts. And we're going to learn about EdgeTech, and we're going to learn about this new system that they are developing. It is called a ropeless fishing system. And so, Rob Morris, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Rob, really looking forward to getting into it. Uh, For all the reasons Peter just mentioned, uh, this uh, technology and your firm are uh, changing, potentially changing for the better, uh, how we fish, bringing fishing into the technological age, really, in a a way that I want to get into. But before we do, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. Well, we do want to thank the uh, sponsor of record these days, Coastal Transplants out of North Carolina with our good friend Steve Mercer. Coastal Transplants is a company that can restore your dune system with native dune plants. They work all over the Atlantic seaboard, all the way down to Brownsville, Texas, and South Padre Island. You can get great service from them. They grow their own plants. They have a nursery and installation technology. Super good company. Coastal Transplants. Find them at CoastalTransplant.com. And I want to also thank the DHI Group here, longtime sponsor. Thank you so much to them for supporting the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News today. Ladies and gentlemen, go check them out. DHIGroup.com slash challenges slash coastal dash resilience. They offer uh, software, engineering expertise, consulting, to help you manage your shoreline. If you are a local government person, a state government person, you have a challenging uh, shoreline, be it an urban shoreline, a rural shoreline, a public space such as a park, these guys are real pros. Uh, They work all over the world. They're a global company. Uh, Again, dhigroup.com to learn more about them. And check out the Mike software. This is that coastal resiliency flooding software that they are using to kind of show the way that the seas are rising. So go to dhigroup.com to learn more. Well, Rob Morris, product engineer for the EdgeTech company. Rob, tell us, tell our listeners around the country uh, about EdgeTech and about your role at the company. Can you give us an introduction? Sure. So EdgeTech has been in business for over 50 years. Um, we started out uh, as an EG&G held company, so there was a marine division, and um, it was purchased or sold off from EG&G and purchased um, by some owners of the company or employees of the company about, I'd say, 20 years ago. So we, we have a lot of experience with manufacturing underwater acoustic technology. Um, besides the acoustic ropeless system we're going to talk about today, EdgeTech also manufactures a wide variety of sonar systems, high-end, high-tech sonar systems that are used on AUVs in the Navy, uh, construction and things like that. Yeah. yeah and So my role in the company... Go ahead, go ahead Rob. It's just as, as a sales engineer, technical sales engineer, and basically I go around demonstrating and talking to people about our different products. Well, Rob, I find this to be fascinating. Obviously, uh, I, I encourage everyone to go to the EdgeTech website and check it out. The first thing that I was struck with is that you this is truly a technology company. I mean, the devices that you are the, on the homepage, it becomes very clear that these are high-tech uh, sonar <laughs> products and uh 
detection products and uh, they're like yellow looking. They look very official and researchy. If you've seen, you know, pictures of these, <laughs> these research vessels very out there, draft, very high tech. And when, when one thinks of uh, lobster fishing and crab pots or lobster pots, uh, it might not be quite that polished. And I'm, you know, it's, it's interesting that you've moved along the line and how, how did you guys decide to get into uh, ropeless fishing? Yeah, so it might not sound as, as sexy as some of the sonar equipment we sell, but it's something we've been doing for over 30 years, um, manufacturing acoustic release products or bringing lines to the surface. So we have a lot of experience with acoustic release systems, um, both in the Navy and in the oceanographic institutions. So we know how to use this and how to build this technology. So about 20 years ago, people really started talking about using ropeless technology to avoid whale entanglements or marine life entanglements of any kind, turtles included. So for really for 20 years, people have been meeting and trying to get together to come up with a system that would work um, and fishers would be happy with. So it kind of, I'd say, the interest kind of slowed down for a few years. The whale population started to increase and I guess it seemed to be less of a problem. But recently, as everybody knows, who's probably listened to your podcast, uh, there's been a high mortality rate for the whales. Right. So about three years ago, we decided, three or four years ago, to get back into this ropeless fishing technology again and, and take another stab at it. So we worked with local lobster fishers here in Massachusetts to develop a new ropeless system specifically designed for trap fishing and working with the social lobster fishermen's association here in Massachusetts um, probably a year year and a half we came up with this system that we call the rugged ropeless fishing system well great and let's let's Rob for the benefit of our listeners and the folks who haven't kept up uh, and don't uh, maybe know this issue as well as you you do uh, the issue involved here is that in the process of fishing for lobsters, the traps are put on the bottom of the sea. They, uh, there is a line that extends to the surface. Sometimes these lines are on every single trap, and on, more commonly now, there might be as many as three, five, six, eight, or ten traps on a single buoy to the surface. And it's these vertical lines in the water column that are associated with the entanglement of right whales as they migrate along the uh, Atlantic seaboard, say from down in South Carolina all the way up to the Gulf of St. Lawrence in Canada, uh, but they're moving in the nearshore waters. Uh, the evidence is, and this is a bit of a dispute between the lobstermen and the uh, NOAA fisheries folks, but the evidence is that Lobsters are commonly entangled in these vertical lines, that they carry these traps with them. And over time, uh, these trap lines and the uh, damage and harm the whales and in some cases cause whale mortality. Uh, and we've also sort of learned that there, in any year there may be as many as a million vertical lines in the water along the Atlantic seaboard uh, where the whales can be potentially entangled. So the idea that someone could figure out a way to economically fish for lobsters without using a vertical line that extends from the bottom of the sea up to the surface is a magic bullet answer to a problem that is very acute 
And uh, Rob, as you mentioned, the right whales, there were 500 of them that had reached the population, had reached about 500 uh, about 20 years ago or so, and has declined to about 400. Uh, the population is not doing well. There are only 400 North Atlantic right whales there, are, and I believe the mortality in the last year was more than 20 whales were uh, died artificially or by artificial means, uh, ship strikes and whale and line entanglement. So here comes EdgeTech potentially riding to the rescue. Uh, and you guys have invented this rugged, ropeless fishing system. Now it does have a rope. So here's, let's start with, let's teach our audience what this damn thing is technically. Can you describe yeah. what it is, the parts <laughs> of it? And I know this is a radio show, so, uh, but they can see no, the video on your website, but yeah, everyone should go check it yeah, out on some, the website. There's some videos on the website. There's some YouTube videos. Um, yeah. First thing people, when they look at it, they'll say, well, there's rope. <laughs> And there is rope. So basically what we have done is we developed this new acoustic release that is rugged so it can withstand the rigors of living on the back of a lobster boat and, and not get damaged because, you know, it's got an electronics board and there are some delicate pieces, but we designed it to be very robust and rugged. So it's going to survive that kind of environment. So basically our system uses a, a release cage, let's call it. It's got a section for the acoustic technology or the acoustic release, let's call it. And it's got another section that holds the rope. So we're really storing the rope on the bottom of the ocean until the fisher or the lobsterman wants to, to retrieve it. He'll then use an edge tech deck box to send a signal to the underwater unit, causing it to release its flotation along with the rope. It'll float to the surface like a buoy. So now the lobsterman has Basically, what he would normally have is a vertical line down to his traps. And then he recovers as if he was fishing a regular trap. Our trap being attached to his trawl. So our release cage doesn't catch lobster. It just holds the rope and the acoustic technology. And it says on your website that the the fishermen can, can, can build that themselves. Is that right? Yeah, so we... we design this system for the Massachusetts fishermen could be used by other other fishers but we specifically designed the cage to be the same size and shape and material of a lobster pot that they're used to using so they're comfortable using it it fits on their back of their boat it stacks nicely so it's roughly the same size um, they can also build it themselves so we don't want to build lobster traps or release cages we you know that's not what we do we build the technology so what we envision is that the lobstermen can take our plans for this square cage, this wire cage made out of lobster trap material, and build it themselves, which a lot of them already do build their own lobster traps in their in their houses. Right. Or they could go to a commercial trap manufacturing company and just order it direct from them, already built, ready to go, just bolt in our acoustic release technology into this release cage, and they're good to go. Okay, can um, can we break down these components a little bit more in in sure. plain English? Uh, so huh. now, okay, so we got a basically a crab pot or a lobster pot. Inside yep. of it is the rope. Is that where the rope goes in the middle? Yes. Yes. Okay, and it's coiled up in a manner that would be conducive to it 
uh, being able to return back to the surface. And for it to return back to the surface, there needs to be some sort of float, right, attached to one end of it? Yeah, so this square release cage, that's the bottom part that we manufacture, has a cover that has flotation balls on it that detaches when we send the acoustic release signal. This cover with the flotation is attached to the rope. So when the cover floats to the surface, it takes the rope with it that's attached to the rest of the lobster pots. All right, so let me see if I'm following along, because I have looked at the video, So, but uh, it's a little like Jack in the Box. You know, it's got a, there's, you turn the crank, pop, the top comes off, the guy shoots out. This is a trap that yep. inside this cage is the rope and the float. The, 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 the trick is the acoustic release. What's going to pop the top off? Right. When, you're, when it's right. jack in the box, you got to turn the crank. Right. With these guys, right. you send a signal down. It's got to be a magnetic release. It, it, no, it's not. It's not. Okay, so oh, how does it, it work? So how, what, what, opens so, the, what opens the top that lets the float come yeah, shooting so we, up to the surface? Our releases, sure. So the release that we use, that we designed for this, for this application, uses existing technology that we use on other releases. It's, it's a push-off release link. So what it does and the way it releases itself is there is a, a threaded shaft on the release housing that is turned by a motor when you send the release command. Uh-huh. So this release is sitting there listening. We, from, the, from the deck of the boat, we put a transducer in the water, and we send a unique command. Every release has its own special command, so nobody can release any, you know, a different release that they don't want to. Every, every release have the unique commands only for them. So once you send that command to release, the motor turns the shaft, and the link unscrews. So okay. Very simple design that is very successful in our other release products. So we've just adapted it to this fishery. Okay. So, and then my other question, so I think I understand it. It basically works like a deadbolt, if you will. Yeah. A screw yeah. moves the, the locking mechanism out of the way. And then all of a sudden yep. when it's no longer behind the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the latch. The, the, exactly. Open. It's a latch, baby. The latch is open. It's a latch. The float comes popping out of the cage, yeah. and the rope trails out. See, Peter, we knew this was possible. <laughs> Rob, we we had we were talking about you know these whale the, the technology. We knew the technology must exist. So you got your pot. You've got the rope coiled up in it, and you mentioned that there's three float balls. Now I do have a question on this. Now. In order to sink this whole apparatus, those float balls, are they like compressed air that gets released or just the weight of the pot alone is able to uh, uh, sink the whole operation here? Right. So you're really looking at the weight in water of the release cage. So we have, we've made uh, three different sized cages. So we have a 22-inch cage, which fishers that are in 200 feet of water or less would use. Uh, this cage weighs about 35 pounds in water. So it's 35 pounds negatively buoyant. So it's going to sink to the bottom. Um, we have another cage that's 48 inches, which is twice the length of the 22-inch one. It weighs a little bit more, maybe about 40 pounds negatively buoyant. So just the, the, the weight of the release cage itself holds it in place. So you don't want to have too much flotation that's going to float away. So you, you have to calculate how much flotation how much rope do I have? Because that flotation needs to bring that rope to the surface. 
Um, much of the rope that's used today is sinking or neutral or, um, or yeah. buoyant. So, yeah. you know, we, we think that regulations require, I believe, some sinking lines in some areas and, some, you know, some neutrally buoyant lines. For this application, the line can be neutrally buoyant because it's going to be held in place in the release cage until it's ready to be recovered. Right, and there's no risk of it entangling a whale while it's in the cage. But we're obvious point no. here, but uh, it's it's completely harmless. The rope only becomes a factor once it's been deployed to the surface. And I guess the notion would be that the fisher, as you say, uh, which I suppose is the right way to describe these folks, is, uh, you know, within some proximity to the the pot. And I suppose they would be using their the same methods that they are currently using, which is GPS. You know, even if you're going after a, a line that's not submerged, that's on the surface, you still need to get close enough to find it and, you know, see what your buoy looks like. So yeah. you're already using the GPS. So the idea would you get, you'd, I imagine you'd get probably within similar range and then walk me through this deck box. How does the deck box work? Okay. <laughs> so I think we got the we have the underwater unit pretty much um, defined. Yeah. Um, and like I said, this you know we made this lobster pot sized release cage for these lobstermen in Canada. We've adapted our release into a snow crab pot that's eight feet in diameter. In California, wow. we will adapt this technology to a crab a Dungeness crab trap. So we're not, you know, the thing you see on our website now is something we designed that can be used. But, you know, think of the EdgeTech rugged release as the heart of the system that can be adapted to different fisheries depending on what what the the fishers want to do. That makes sense. You just put it, you so can... very flexible. You can just mount this thing on different sized pots, uh, whether yeah. it's in, what, regardless of, of how big they are, and I guess how deep the water is because you just carry more line, basically, is what you're saying. Yes, we just developed a release cage for the offshore lobstermen in Massachusetts that holds 1,200 feet of half-inch line. Wow. So they can work in wow. 100 feet of water with that, at least. So, again, we just scaled up the size of the cage. Okay, so we're talking about the deck box, Tyler, is what you yeah. were asking about. So there's a device on the boat that sends the signal... How, I think Tyler's question is a good one. You've got to be in some proximity. We know it's a unique code, and everybody's cool with this because, like our Bluetooth yeah. on your phone, we're all connecting to speakers. Or your car. And your car. And fob. It, it, they're fobs and all these so, things yeah. are unique. We're all cool with that. Um, but what is this so deck box? We, yeah, so that's is, how we, yeah, that's how we connect and, and control the acoustic release is via Bluetooth. So... We have a deck box that has the acoustic release top side board or deck unit board in it. It's got a connector for a transducer so we can put the sound in the water and broadcast it out to the acoustic release. We need a way to, you know, it's a speaker. It's basically an underwater speaker. And what we've done is we've developed uh, the Trap Tracker app, and you'll probably see it on our website, or if you hunt around, you'll see it. This Trap Tracker app runs on an iOS or an Android phone or tablet. And you control everything on your on your Android or I, iOS device. Wow! So you you connect to it, you can talk to it. It will give you feedback information like um, I'm tilted, I'm not tilted. It'll tell you how far away it is. 
It'll tell you its ID, who am I? You'll, you can query it and it'll say, I am this serial number. So we have communication from the lobster boat to the underwater unit. Um, what we also do is one of the sticking points for everybody is we don't want to set our traps on top of my colleagues or my, the other fishers' traps, right? They don't want to overset on each other because that's going to cause right. tangled mess. The draggers also need to know where the boot, where the traps are because they don't want to accidentally drag through a bunch of lobster pots. It's going to ruin their equipment and it's going to damage the lobster pots. So they need to know where these traps are because now let's say we're doing this and there's no more buoys on the surface. Yep. Right. So this trap tracker app actually positions the traps on a chart that in those positions, that information gets sent to a cloud database that can be shared by anybody that has the trap tracker app. So ed, anybody that has this edge tech trap tracker app can look at it and say, Oh, I see this, those traps are right there. I'm going to move over a little bit and put my traps down. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely essential, uh, as you say, yeah. because what's being eliminated is the visual uh, manifestation of the trap on the bottom. It's no longer got a buoy on the surface. So in order to make sure people don't wreck this stuff accidentally, uh, you got to be able to know where every trap is or trap line. Um, so, so it's a virtual buoy marking system. Gotcha. Basically. Okay. So that's it, important. It was, yeah very important okay so you send the signal when you when you said it's like a speaker the transducer you put it in the water it sends out this acoustic signal is it something you can hear with your ears or is it uh, in the ultra whatever range you well it's it's in the 25 kilohertz range so you can hear it but you're really just hearing the mechanical tick click of the transducer okay okay so the signal goes down the trap the 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 Latch. Latch. Well, actually, hold on a second. Yeah, no hold way. on a second. We're we're burying the lead. Yeah. This thing is not a one-trick pony. This isn't just a latch. This baby. No. Ca- this not. baby's got some sensors because it yeah. can tell you if it's tilted. Yeah. This thing's got uh, uh, the ability to to talk back and forth. And when you're talking, for, forgive me, uh, Rob, but you mentioned that the the trap tracker app. Mm-hmm. Now is it? Are are the traps communicating their geolocation directly to that app, or is that happening like when they're dropped, the captain sends a signal? It's happening. It's happening when you drop. So you take okay. the tap and you say you press the deploy button. Right I then, see. You, you throw your first trap in, and it'll tell you: Do you, are you doing a single trap, or are you doing a trawl, multiple traps? If you're doing trawls, you say begin. It takes that position and records it on the trap tracker app. When you're done putting out your last trap, say 10 or 20, you push push finish. And it's really at the surface where that location is. It's not right. communicating, you know, posi- positionally where the unit is underwater. Right, because it can uh, drift actually, through the current as it drops to the bottom. It might be off that and, line a little bit. But you've got the basic area. Yeah. I mean, I look at it like if, if you're fishing with a buoy and you have a a certain amount of scope or extra line out there, that buoy is not directly over the no, trap either. Not at all. So it's moving around depending on the currents and the wind. So, you know, that's, I don't think that's a huge issue. It's no. pretty close to where you dropped it. How close do you have to be to send the signal and trigger the release? So we're really good at acoustic technology. So we can actually communicate a maximum of 2,000 meters away. Huh. So about a mile. 
a mile. Yeah. Now you wouldn't normally do that in practice, but no. let's say that uh, a trawl got dragged away by, say, a scalper or something, and he moved it a mile away. Well, the fisher could go back there and communicate with it and, and ask it where for status. It'll tell the the trap tracker app how far away it is, so we can range on these things. So Got it could it. be a thousand meters away, it could be two thousand meters away, and then by triangulation. You can actually position where that you can find your lost. You can relocate your gear. Release, yes. Okay. Which is actually, you Another know, an advantage. Ghost gear, right? Yeah. So we're helping to eliminate ghost gear because you can find your your trawls if they're still attached to our release cage. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I mean, it seems like uh, you know, it, as Tyler, you were saying, this is a, you guys are a technology company. Don't come to this as a a, a company that's worked on fishing gear development. But in a, in the world of acoustics and 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 sensors and underwater communication, I don't know. What, I mean, the, the product range is pretty pretty big for edge tech. So you're coming at it really from this Can technology I, thing, and it's yeah. kind of like you know laptops and phones yeah. and tablets. I want to step in on yeah, this. Jump this in is, on this. This is fascinating. We to address all of the issues that people may have. The other issue is enforcement. So enforcement wants to be able to know where people's traps are and recover them if they want to check them, right? Right. So with our Trap Tracker app, they have the ability to do that. They they have access, uh, permissions to this cloud database so they can see where everybody's equipment is. But fishers can only see where their equipment is and where other people's gear is within a two-and-a-half-mile radius. Now let me just ask but a question on that, Rob. Every, uh, that? I, I just have a question on the, uh, you know, enforcement inspection, which is what you're talking about. Currently, yeah. and, and you might not know the, the answer to this question, but I, I suspect you will. Currently, does do game wardens and, and fishery enforcers check pots uh, where there is a buoy? Are they Do they have the legal... Is this a practice that is done? So uh, I, I can't really say for 100% certainty, but I think they legally can do it. But I don't know how much, in practice, how much they actually do do it. Okay. But what I think they need to know is where are people fishing, you know? So maybe they do in Canada. I think they do aerial surveys. I'm not sure. I can't speak really a lot on that. But I know that enforcement was a big thing for, like, NOAA Fisheries. Everybody wanted the ability to be able to do that. That makes sense. You know, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just dive in here quickly on, on just some thoughts I've been having on this subject matter. I and mean, going back to our our series on this main fishery and just why it is so interesting. And one of the reasons why it's so interesting is that it is in transition. Um, and uh, it's transitioning environmentally. The physics of the water are changing. The ecology is changing. And the economy is uh, therefore changing. Peter mentioned that there, we're pulling more lobsters than we ever have. That's largely due to the fact that there are just a ton of lobsters in that region right now and the lobstermen are are very effectively fishing them uh but when you think of fishing uh especially lobster fishing it really is it's i think it's easy to to think of it as kind of this old almost you know if it was like an agri if it was a farming practice it'd be like you got your old john deere it's maybe a small little farm operation and you don't realize that like on modern farms the tractor is GPS guided within inches 
It knows where to put fertilizers. It can. It's soil testing as it's going over. It's using satellite and drone imagery, and as soil, soil moisture levels are detected. Totally. Where irrigation. I mean, and they're doing very, it from their app. We very high. We tech. met a guy down. At, that pulled out his app. He's like, I can tell you about my field right now. Uh, and yeah. so our our. Our practice, I think it's easy to forget, you know, think of fishing as this kind of age, and it is this age-old tradition, but um, that it is, over time, technology has been creeping its way, it's been embraced, in fact, by fishermen, that's one of the ways that they do it so effectively. The Chinese have fishing boats that are perpetually at sea, uh, catching, freezing, processing, shipping out fish, and the lobster industry is just a little different, it's this, like... uh, Mom and pop industry, but nonetheless, understand that these boats have modern technology on board, and this represents a neck another step. But for whatever reason, and maybe this is just part of the human condition, or maybe this is because of the fact that such you know a lapsed a lobsterman's uh, buoy is such a personal symbol. But there has been, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, but I really believe that there has been kind of this, oh, this is impossible. You cannot uh, pot fish, rope fish for lobsters or crab without a line to the surface with a flotation on it that alerts, uh, Rob, all the, all the parties you were just talking about, the fishermen, uh, other fishermen who don't want a conflict and law enforcement and fisheries enforcement that alert those people where the things are. And what you're telling us is that you guys have figured it out. And that is pretty cool. Question is, Rob, when you go out and talk to actual fishermen, I'm not talking, I'm sure that the whale people are delighted. I'm sure that the enforcement people and you know, the folks who are not out there fishing all the day, you know, which I would count myself among, it sounds really cool. But how do fishermen respond to this technology? Um, I get both positive and negative comments. I think, um, you know, we're at EdgeTech, we're not forcing this down their throats. We, we see an opportunity to, to both help fishers, help whales, and help EdgeTech to make money. Um, you know, that's why we're in this business. So, you know, when I explain it to them that way, you know, they, they accept it. And a lot of them see the writing on the wall and they actually come up to me and say, hey, you know, I've heard about this ropeless technology. Tell me about it because I think eventually we're going to have to use this in some areas. And I don't think it's going to be used 100% of the areas, but where there are issues, you know, where the whales are migrating certain times a year, maybe it'll just be used then and not 365 days a year. So I think it'll have a niche wherever it lands. <laughs> Well, let's talk about its effectiveness. There's a couple of questions I think we have to explore. One, does it work? And two, how much does it cost? But So let's start with the does it work. If you have 100 traps set and with different acoustic signals uh, and we're going to go and try to release those 100, how many of those are going to float to the surface? How many of them are going to have the line gets bunched up, the float gets hooked up, the trap didn't open I mean, what is the effectiveness what is the success rate of the system what is your data show what have you tested and found out so you know we're, that's what we're doing now we're in the we're in the testing phase and we've already done our testing but now we're trying to prove it by doing these tests with uh, NOAA fisheries where we're actually giving the systems to lobstermen and letting them take them out and use them and report back 
you know, what what they're finding and you know, what the success rate is, testing. So there's a two-phase program going on with NOAA Fisheries in Massachusetts right now that we're participating with um, lobstermen. And they're out there. They're out there today. I was talking to one today as, as he was recovering the ropeless system and setting it back out. So right now we've done about, you know, maybe 60 days of on-water soaking, and we have 100% success rate. Okay, good start, right? And I've told, and I've told these, these guys, I'm like, you know, just use it like you normally would. Don't try to be extra careful throwing the line back in the rope locker. Just do it, use it like you would, and then report back to us what you find because we want the feedback from the fishers because those are the guys that have to use it. Um, the other thing we've done is we've made it very easy to use. So it's it's not something you need to take 10 minutes to rearm it. It can be rearmed within a minute with one hand. So there's no tricky electronics or, you know, rearming procedure that you need to use. It's very, hmm. very easy to use. And the reason it is is because we've worked with these guys for over a year before we came up with the this design. And they're happy with it. They, you know, they like it. And we've had 100% success okay. rate. So let's put some numbers on that. How many test traps have actually been deployed into the, in this uh, oh, trial? Well, it, well, let's talk, if you want to talk about numbers, we could talk about the tens of thousands of acoustic releases we have out in the field that are okay. used right now. And that's fine. And we and have I, a very, I, very high success rate. They're okay. the same type of technology. So Got same it. command structure, same you know type of release mechanism, just on a different housing. So, you know, can you throw? Can you deploy a release cage and have it wedge itself between two rocks? Yeah, that could happen. Yeah, it, and it may happen. Um, so. You know, if I had to put a number on it, I would say, you know, we're 99% successful, probably. Okay. All right. But, but very let's, successful. All right. Let's, I mean, the number of systems out there, there aren't a lot of systems out there because it's hard to, you know, get into a program and get it used a lot when the regulations don't really allow it. Right. So, well, and, and um, Rob, that's, I want to jump into the regulation issue, but, and I'm, look, I think I'm fine with the fact that it is a cutting edge technology. It's being deployed, it's based on a, a technology that you guys have decades of experience with in terms of acoustic release, really solid, certainly used in lots of applications. So, uh, the, and, and the fact that it isn't widely used right now is because we're in that initial stages of trying to get this product, yeah. you know, involved in these fisheries and for good reason. So I, I, I let me just, but I want to know how much these things cost. Like if I'm going to, yeah. I, I've got my regular line of lobster traps, I'm going to add one cage and then, and it's got to have the release mechanism on it. I'm going to have the transducer to send the signal and I'm going to have the box on deck that uh, controls it and communicates. Uh, it sounds like those are the pieces. We won't count the tr cost of the trap or the count of the rope, but is so, that a so one release cage and one top side unit basically to get yeah. to get you going. So you're fishing in say a closed area, right? Would be so for that. So the underwater unit sells for about right now because we're only making twenty at a time. Okay, and this is not a prototype. This is an actual in production right now. Okay, I know there are a lot of systems out there that people are are presenting that are that are in the prototype stage okay our, our systems are not prototypes they're in production so um when we start you know if and when we ever start selling hundreds and hundreds the price is going to go down but right now the underwater unit is thirty five hundred dollars wow okay and and now, so okay it sounds like a lot it but is. if you think well, about it, it lasting 10 to 20 years okay 
on the back of a lobster boat and you average that out over how many days you're going to fish and how many traps, the number becomes very, you know, $5 per per pot per day or whatever. Okay. All right. So it, it becomes a lot less if you do the math. Oh, great. Well, let's, so it sounds let's... like a really scary number and I don't, you know, well, let's I think do. If you look I, at it long term, it's not okay. Help me out with the math here, because, and this is something where you know Tyler and I are down here in Austin, Texas, <laughs> so we're not up there in Maine. We're not in Massachusetts. We don't hang out with lobstermen, uh, so we don't know a lot about uh, how these uh, fisheries operate. But in our discussions right, with so, Patrice and others, yeah. uh, a lobster license typically in Maine, I think, allows it. That, and some of these lobster fishermen need to call us up and let us know. Uh, or send us an email if we're not right about this. But as I understand it, you are licensed for up to 800 traps in a season that the license has that many. Now, obviously, uh, you're not putting 800 traps on a line. You're not putting them out all at the same time. That's not how the fishery works. It migrates from near shore to offshore over the season, starting in the spring all the way through the fall, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but you would need on a boat, if you were going to set 50 traps and i don't really know if they set 50 traps in a week you would need more than one uh buoy release uh mechanism because you would need one for each trap line so if you could put five trap lines in a row you'd need 10 of those damn things is that now help me out with the math help me out with that so right so they'd have to what they call i think they call it trawling up so you'd to make it even more cost effective in the short term you you would need to you know, trawl up and have more pots per, you know, Line. per trawl, per yeah. release cage. Well, okay. and um, in Massachusetts, it's the same thing. They have 800 pots. Um, they can fish up to 20 per trawl. And I've seen them fishing 20 yeah. per trawl. They're actually doing that with our technology right now. And, and Rob, um, you know, as a, as just a reminder to our listeners, kind of re- referencing back to the Michael Acero of NOAA Fisheries, take reduction team leader interview we did, the, the take reduction team has come to the conclusion that line reduction by, I believe it's 90%? 60. 60%. In Maine. I think they want... 60%. No, wait. 60% mortality reduction. Right. That's if we right. Can, but 50% reduction in the number of vertical lines in the water, right. I believe, is is that right, it's a, Well, it's, it's a big it's some, number. It's a big I number. It's a big number. number. I've, I've been to the meetings. I think it's around 50%, you know, if, the, if they could meet that goal okay. I'm so not look at sure 100 i'm just throwing but this let's out say that i'm just th- hold on rob i'm just throwing it out go ahead you know this doesn't have to be a flip the switch deal the the goal is to over time reduce the number of lines and maybe one way to convince convince these fishermen to do it is hey one of your lines and your one of your lines can actually come to the top the other one will be a uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, a sunken line, and hey, just in that you've you've cut your vertical lines by fifty percent. Huh. Uh, yeah. So, so there's yeah. a lot of opportunity here, I think, to uh, baby step this thing uh, forward, and but ultimately, and here's the thing, and I really appreciate the way you describe, by the way, the the cost over time. That's totally fair. I mean, all of this equipment, your boat, their boats, all their stuff is expensive. The pots are, frankly, pretty expensive. The, the rope ends up being pretty expensive, depending on how much there is and what kind it is. Um, and when you add it up over time and you build it into the cost structure, which, which is what would happen if this was widely adopted, it would get built into the, the cost of lobster, the end product. 
you know, it it doesn't strike me personally. This is my personal opinion as being prohibitive. Pro- prohibitive, especially given the fact that it is a this is an emergent technology and it has not yet been widely adopted. I would expect prices to. As you said, Rob, with with greater production, hell, they'll be on eBay. <laughs> they will. You buy them secondhand. <laughs> My kids quit. He's tired of fishing. He's going to college. I got some line release systems here, at half price. Uh, yeah. No, but uh, yeah. Well, uh, to be serious about it, I, I think that the cost is a legitimate issue, and it brings up. Let's get to the. Let's look at the issues that are associated with getting this off of the uh, warehouse that you guys are the manufacturer where you guys are into the water. And you mentioned that the regulatory system isn't quite set up for this. Number one, let's talk about that. What's wrong with the current set of uh, rules governing lobster fisheries that this is not uh, sort of, was it, is it not allowed? What's the situation? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's wrong. It's just th- these are the regulations today as they exist in, yeah. in Massachusetts. I, I, I know more about Massachusetts just because that's where I've mainly been working, but you have to have a line on each end of your trawl. And okay. if they don't, there is no allowance to fish either with no buoy line or even with one. Now, our testing that we're doing, we're in right now, is using one buoy line. Right. So in practice, they've reduced their lines by 50% already. Um, just in the testing. Got it. Um, and they got a special permit from NOAA to, to fish like this. They had to get a special permit to fish with one buoy line instead of two. Got it. So the next step would be for uh, the group here in Massachusetts. Would, they would like to be able to fish uh, in the closed area this in 2020 with some amount of ropeless system. Okay, so let's talk so about so for the Hang on a second. Small we got scale it. that it works. All right, now Rob, we got to help out the folks. And when you say a closed area, that is a term of art in the regulatory world of lobster fisheries, and it means a demarked area that the traps are not allowed to be set in because of the risk to whales, is that it? Yeah, so it's very high risk in Cape Cod Bay and Massachusetts Bay, so Okay. Uh, the regulators just decided to just close it. So any kind of lobster fishing at all. Right. Got it. So in the world these days, in our political dialogue, we're hearing a whole lot about quid pro quo. Well, here's one that we probably could get behind, which is if you will use this technology, we will let you deploy it in a closed area. So the fishermen have now an incentive that could conceivably open up more areas for lobstering um, because the vertical line issue has been addressed is that kind of the pitch you're trying to make yeah i mean that's that's what it that's what it is you know we we're again baby steps so we're trying to on a small scale get uh the fishers to be able to fish in the closed areas you know to show that the technology really does work because that's the other thing i hear from fishermen is it doesn't work it's you know it'll never work so we really have to prove that it does work. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're yeah. doing with this testing right now. Good, good. Keep doing it. I mean, I'm with Tyler on this stuff. I think that the, the transition that the American farmers have made to the level of high-tech satellite data where literally the, uh, the, the, the machinery that is either planting or harvesting is controlled by a damn satellite GPS that is so precise, it can, it can drive the thing. That's it's that sophisticated. Yeah, They're see. that good on yeah. on moisture control and fertilizer application. Look, this is a, another working man's industry or working person's industry where technology is to their advantage. And um, this look, I think the difference here is is 
we are undertaking this entire exercise because we're trying not to kill these damn whales. And to me, it would be an embarrassment and a humiliation of the country if we, get, if we can't figure out in a fishery that is making $400 million a year in economic value, up to $500 yeah. million a year, cannot figure out a way to deal with these damn ropes. And so I have very well, little we figured it out. I know. So well, this we, is what we yeah. got to do. And, and it, 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 it's not I want the lobstermen. And I, this is my argument with, with or, or appeal to uh, to Patrice McCarran at the Maine Lobstermen's Association is get serious about this. You guys are loot that making a lot of money. It's a there is a way to do it. Get serious. And what's it going to take to kind of break the log jam and get this out in the water, Rob? Well, I think, first of all, it's the money part, and, and I don't think it's fair to uh, have a small mom-and-pop operation that has a 40-foot lobster boat that's got to put out $200,000 to buy this technology. Why, you know, why can't the government assist them in doing this? Agreed. Nowhere is, Agreed. You know, is um, you know, asking them to you know, reduce their vertical lines or whatever, but I, I think Somebody needs to help pay for this, and it shouldn't just be the lobster fishers that have to do it. No, no. And and, and elsewhere, whether it's uh, here in Texas with the shrimpers and the turtle ejection system, Turtle extruder devices. The TED devices. The tutor extruder devices. Turtle extruder devices. Whatever they are. The TED. Those devices. Yeah. uh, uh, There's a lot of money that is made available to help those shrimpers get a hold of those devices because they're they're not in the business of killing turtles. Right, uh, and they would prefer right. to fish more effectively, um, and not take the heat. Uh, you know, one of the things that is truly in common between turtles and uh, the whales is that they these are beloved creatures yeah. that uh, people pay attention to. And the last thing you want to do if you're uh, a lobsterman trying to you know have a, a happy, healthy, and and wealthy career is to run afoul by you know yeah. that group of activists that really care about the whales and also as you said peter you know the our wildlife our coastal wildlife and ocean wildlife is part of the national treasure there's a reason why we have these laws there's a reason why NOAA fisheries the marine mammal protection act exists it was passed that went through damn congress yeah that's pretty amazing yeah uh, and so, yeah. yeah, we care about these things. We have decided as a as a society to care about them. And from time to time, that and, and in fact, all the time, that requires an investment. And I see no reason why we wouldn't want to help out the the public would not want to help out these lobstermen in evolving uh, their fisheries practices into a, to a new way that accounts for the fact that these lines really do seem to have a uh, harmful effect on the whales and they are just in a they're we're scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the numbers right on I, yeah. I, I mean, well said now it's just how are we going to pay for it and how are we going to change the rules to allow it well let's let's talk about paying for it and i think and there are a lot of models out there and uh, and i'll say this for michael lasaro if you're listening dr saro at noah and the other folks at noah or uh, the state legislator, I think we represent the representative from Massachusetts and Maine. There's a bill. There's legislation introduced. Look, we have the Conservation Reserve the Program. Save the Save Act is is in in and Congress Seth right Moulton now. Seth Moulton is is the Massachusetts. That's right, Seth Moulton. That's right. Yep. 
And uh, the conservation reserve program is we pay farmers to to set aside uh, farm areas that are wetlands and are important for migratory waterfowl. And we write them a check to make sure that they don't do that and we don't undermine the economics of the practice. It's the same damn thing. We do this all the time and the government needs to get it together. NOAA needs to get it together. Patrice, you need to join hands with Michael Lasaro and NOAA and you need to go to Congress and make sure that the that there is sufficient economic support for the deployment of these tech. I'm not saying it's necessarily edge tech, but these ropeless right. systems have got to be put out there. And and there isn't any reason why we can. And look, in an industry that is worth so much money, there is no excuse. None. There is no excuse for not tackling this problem. And, and it pisses me off that it's it's even problematic. You know, the technology, if it's proven, and this is on you, Rob, and your company, you've got to be good at this. If it doesn't yeah. work, it will fail, and it'll screw up anybody else's chance to work with this community of fishermen. So you've got to be good at that, and you've got to have technology that works. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm, and, and I'm glad and you're out there proving we it. We waited until we were ready to, you know, release it, and no pun intended, and it's, it's ready to go. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, Rob, yeah. I and, just... Uh, the other thing you haven't talked about is ahead. the sustainable fishery part of things, right? Yeah, like let's hear about it. safe tuna. Well, dolphin safe tuna is one thing, right? So now every can of tuna you get says dolphin safe. They sustainably caught the tuna by in, by reducing the number of dolphins that they've killed to, to do it. Um, so lobster is going to be there's going to be a demand for sustainably harvested lobster too, um, whether it be supermarkets or restaurant chains or hotel chains, they're going to want to see that stamp, that whale-safe stamp on the lobster. Where was it caught? How was it caught? So that's going to be applying some pressure as well to use, you know, some kind of technology, whether it be weak ropes or ropeless fishing to, you know, to reduce the number of whale deaths. Well, Rob, I I think you're absolutely correct. There's going to be a communications piece uh, associated with this and, you know, market positioning. One of the things we're seeing in just general adaptivity to climate change and uh, just coastal resiliency in general is that the private sector does have an incentive to uh, be ahead of the curve if it affords uh, a particular industry uh, favorable market positioning. And I think you're very accurate to point out that many of the same people that consume, that buy and consume lobsters and consumers do care about the manner of the, 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 the practices of the industry and the negative consequences of them. They certainly did care with uh, the dolphins and tuna, as you pointed out. And I would expect that movement. I think there's the, an opportunity for a brand there that can be uh become known and be something that can stand for sustainability and whale safe, you know, harvest, I think is super important. Um, the other thing that I think is important is that uh, there are people out there saying that this is impossible right now. And you're, yeah. and you're telling us, no, 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 no. We do this kind of release technology all the time uh, on your website. You, you guys clearly do work with fine, institutions i'm sure that it sounds like you do some military stuff it sounds like you do a lot of stuff with the oil and gas industry we're talking about top end technology here and uh this is not 
This is not like a Walmart product. <laughs> this is a very no. serious high-end, right. high-tech product that is designed to withstand the ocean being submerged for long periods of time and reliably ret- returning that rope to the surface. And yeah. that is possible, ladies and gentlemen. It is darn possible. You just need to use your damn imagination and think about the fact, okay, can you communicate from the surface to the bottom and make a mechanical thing happen that releases the latch? Yes, we can. On a di- in addition to that, we can have it communicate and tell you if it's tilted or not. <laughs> right. I mean, good Lord, uh, we can do this. You know, if you can put some neon on it and say, you know, lobsters, come in, come in, come in. Come in. Like, like, never mind, yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, but I mean, no, the lobster smart traps. Put, it's called smart traps. We could put video traps. cameras down there. We could put video cameras down there so they could check their traps without pulling them. But, right. you know, now you're talking money. Yeah. So, you know, we had to make the least expensive system we could make and make it as reliable as, as all right. our other products. And that's now, let me ask you this, um, Rob, in, in the deployment of this thing, and I'm just throw this out there in, in the agricultural industry where there's expensive equipment, um, combines, for example, for re- weed harvesting. My, my former father-in-law had a custom cutting business and owned these machines that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And not only did he cut uh, his own, wheat in Montana, he was contracted out. And there's co-ops where expensive gear is shared. And I don't know if the Maine Lobsterman's Association could be the warehouser of, you know, a thousand sets of this stuff that are that are supplemented and deployed depending on where people are fishing. It's le- I mean, there's got to be a way, in other words, to yeah. cooperatively. A, equipment pool. Oh, equipment an pool. equipment we've, pool. We've actually had yeah, come on. these discussions with, uh, you know, some people from Noah and other people, lobstermen, that Hey, you know, what if Noah buys 200 or 400 or 500 of these systems and they right. keep them? And when it's time to use them, because the right whales are coming up the coast, yep. you get them, you, whether you lease them or pay a certain amount of money and you get to use them. And then you give them back to Noah and they'll change the batteries or, you know, and get them ready for the next year. Yeah, you could do that. I, like that. Yeah, some kind of, I mean, come on, we can be smart about this. Um, well, Rob, I think the reason we wanted to talk to you is to continue this discussion uh, and, and, about the about the North Atlantic right whale, which is perilous right now, and the value of this fishery, we've got to figure out an accommodation and a balance in this industry, and we have to figure out how to deploy these kinds of technologies not only in the United States along our shorelines, but up in Canada, in where uh, this fishery is moving and migrating. Uh, the lobster fishery is moving northward. Uh, it also applies, of course, as you know, in the snow crabs and in Dungeness trap lines everywhere. So yep. it's a great idea. Uh, it's got to be seriously done. The guys who are developing the technology, you guys are the foundations of the solution. Potentially, I'm hoping that what you're doing is rock solid as hell and passes the test because you're going to run into a lot of opposition uh, because these independent minded yep. people don't want anybody telling them what to do. And uh, you know what I tell them is get over it. we got to do this right, and there is a way to do it. And if we provide economic support, let's fish these fisheries, make lots of money, enjoy lobster, and not kill the whales. How about it? It's right in front of us. Let's do it. That's a good way to say it. Now, I also like to say that, you know, the lobstermen don't want to hurt whales either. No. You know, they, you know that's, that's where they work. That's their workplace. And, you know, nobody wants to hurt whales I think, you know, moving forward, this technology is going to prevent that from happening. Agreed. And I would echo that sentiment about the lobstermen in that uh, 
you know, the, I think that we sell short the willingness for, uh, in this case, the lobstermen to uh, evolve and adapt. This is their livelihood. This is an evolution in the technology that will benefit their environment, their fishing practices. Uh, as the technology develops, it wouldn't be hard to imagine 10 years down the road where they do have cameras hooked up. And they do have, uh, they're able to fish more safely and more efficiently and burn less fuel, saving money. Uh, so this is a market-based solution. And the question for our policymakers in the audience is, do we, let's subsidize this. I think, I think is the question is, is there, yes. is there an opportunity to subsidize this technology, whether it's edge tech or other innovators out there? to make our fisheries, whether it's the lobster fishery with this remote sensing stuff or putting uh, cameras on fishing vessels to allow for better accountability and enforcement without having to pay to have a, a Coast Guard crew board a vessel, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and creating all of that disruption in the fishing. Can we just have, a, have some sort of camera out there? There are a lot of news articles, Peter, that we encounter week over week about evolutions in fishing technology and uh and in frankly aquaculture as well I'm, i'll just throw that out there and uh, i believe that it is in the best interest of the uh, lobstermen to embrace the technology and i think it's in the best interest of uh the public to subsidize it to support it yeah 100 percent true um Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Morris, the product sales engineer for Edge Tech Incorporated. Uh, Rob, how do people learn more about what you do? How do they find out more about the product? How do they find out how it's working? How do they reach out to you? Yeah, so the best place to start would be um, just, just go to our website, you know, edgetech.com, and check out all of our products as well as the acoustic release products. And there's links to videos showing you exactly how it works. And uh, we also have a, you know, an inquiry page where if you have a question, you can just send it right to me and I'll, I'll get back to you. I got one final question for you. And I think you do know Patrice McCarran uh, at the Maine Lobstermen's Association. Have you talked to her about this and what is she telling you? Uh, just briefly. Uh, usually these meetings are, are you know, very um, high stress and there's a lot of people talking. So we haven't had a chance to have a good discussion with her. But if she was in front of me right now, I'd say, you know, just come, you know, let me show you our stuff and how it works. And I'll, I'll come up to Maine and I'll demonstrate a system and um, let them try it out. Leave it for them to, to test if they want, uh, just to, so they know that the technology does work and it, it, it is, you know, a viable option. Absolutely. Well, I hope you would uh, accept such an offer. Rob Morris, Edge Tech, thank you very much for joining us on the American Shoreline podcast and continuing this really important discussion about the fate of the North American right whale and the wealthiest fishery in America, the Maine lobster fishery. Uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to be with us today. Now,